Hello, Pastor Deborah here, and I am coming to you to introduce you to a new section on the website and on YouTube called Setting the Captives Free. You can see that on my board back here. I want to give you a little brief introduction to how I got here. As many of you may know, but some of you may not, I grew up in a military family. We were freedom fighters. We were trained to go into foreign countries, give our lives and our family lives, to set captives free of some oppressive, enslaving government. My family had served in World War II. At least my father had, I hadn't. But my whole family, my mother, my brother and I, we lived on military bases. So around planes, tanks, soldiers and marching would stop even as a small child. When they played the American anthem to put up the flag or take down, we stopped, got off our bicycles, put our hearts on our hands. I grew up in a family that was dedicated to setting captives free, fighting, laying down your lives, giving everything you had, not being a part of the normal community around us. I went to school on the bases. I went to the movies. All my friends were military soldiers. Traveled the world, went to the Philippines, Hawaii, born on a government Air Force base, Moffat in Bakersfield, California. I was government issue. Why am I telling you this? Because when this was my foundation to getting to set captives free, I was a freedom fighter. I was a military dependent. They even tried to recruit me during the Vietnam War. And I didn't want to march and wear those uniforms. But there was something in me that always wanted to help people who could not help themselves. Whether they had a physical disability, were in wheelchairs, were blind, worked, volunteered and worked in a rehabilitation facility, took them to movies. I was friends with them. I worked in drug clinics. I helped my father teach psychology so people could help people. In me, foundationally, in my soul and my spirit, was helping people. I didn't know how to do that very well when I began. I went the world's way, became a licensed mental health counselor, nationally clinically certified, I think back in 1983. I stayed that for about 10 years. It tried to fit into that world system. But deep inside of me there was a soldier, a special ops, trying to come out. But I didn't know that. I had no training. But I saw the people who had problems, mental health problems, substance abuse problems, all kinds of sicknesses, illnesses, 
tragedies from accidents. My mother, who's in heaven now, she had such great bitterness against her mother and her sisters. She believed that her father died because of them. She was a chain smoker. She smoked inside the house to deal with her stress. And I developed allergies, was sick with strep throat, ear aches, all kinds of stuff. Of course, we didn't know it. My father, when he was stressed, he ate candy and jelly beans. There was no counseling. There was no therapy. Because when you're in the military, you suck it up. There's a code of silence for the officers. I was an officer's daughter. I was high-ranking. I was a colonel's daughter. I grew up among the officers at the officers' club. We had a code of ethics we had to follow. It was never written down in the book. But you had to follow it even as a child. So I knew there were problems, even in my own family. But there was no counseling, no help. So I turned to the Word of God. I turned to peace. I turned to prayer. I turned to reading the Bible. Turned to church. Found my way through it. My brother did not survive it. He's in heaven also. He ended up being diagnosed bipolar and borderline personality, a chain smoker. Had lots of issues, divorces, rejection. In fact, he thought when my mother was dying in my living room, that she was abandoning him and rejecting him again. So I come from a family who were captives of silence, captives of a code of the military, but yet we were trained to lay our lives down. Our lives were not important. Other people were. We were to go and train and travel the world wherever they told us to go. We had to learn to make new friends. And then two years later, move. I loved it. I got along with everybody. Brother did not like it. He needed connections and friends. Somehow I was cut from a different piece of cloth. I didn't learn about that till later. So when I grew up, I went and became a mental health counselor. also did psychological testing. Now, I didn't fit. Remember, I'm coming from a military family. Fighting enemies and war, battle and training, discipline, sacrifice. There was none of that in the mental health community. Even if you worked in a rehab hospital, as I did with spinal cord injury patients and head injury patients, mental health was just sort of a sideline. It wasn't as important as speech therapy or occupational therapy or physical therapy. Me and the social workers, we did not get along. Because they really believed they all had masters, and they really believed they were the emotional support. Did you know that I could go into a rehab hospital, which I did, go and talk to one of the spinal cord injury patients, talk to him for 10 to 20 minutes, and charge for an hour visit? I was a money-making machine for the hospital. Licensed mental health counselors are money-makers. Now, they have to meet some criteria by the state, which I did. You had to have a master's degree with certain uh, classes, which I did. 
Then you had to be supervised by a licensed person. Could be a psychologist, psychiatrist. At the time I went in in 1983, uh, they were grandfathering most of us in the state of Florida. So what happened was I got my license. And I got nationally certified. And then I volunteered with the American Mental Health Counselors Association on three different committees. I went up to Washington, I lobbied, because mental health counselors weren't equal yet with the social workers and psychologists as far as insurance goes to get paid. I was a district representative of the Florida Mental Health Counselors Association. I went to Washington. I sat on the National Public Policy and Legislative Committee, the National Standards Committee of Education. And the nominating, I was the chairman of the nominating committee to nominate the presidents and the leaders of the American Mental Health Counselors. But I wasn't happy. This was the world system. But I was trying to help people. I was trying, I guess, to set captives free of something, some illnesses or sicknesses that I had learned about. But there was something that was not settled in me. So, in 1995, this church here, I think it was Brownsville Assembly of God, had a revival. A young man named Steve Hill, who's also in heaven, he came preaching about the love of God. God has a plan for your life. Because he had come out of a powerful revival that lasted for about five years, I think, in Argentina. Boy, did he see God move. Did he see demonics manifest? People got their teeth filled with gold. He had never seen that in the assemblies of God. So he came up here, and I missed it by six weeks. I had been on a family vacation in Canada. But when I got there, because God had been leading me, he had cut my job off as a mental health counselor, told me to put it down. I was actually depressed for a while. Didn't know what I was going to do. Knew I was supposed to help people, but I didn't know how or why. Or the only model I had was the mental health counselors. And I guess that wasn't it. So I go, and I go to the altar the first night. I don't remember what he preached on. Never heard such loud music before. I'd been in church very small. And I cried for 45 minutes. I cried. What? About? I don't know. I get back to my pew and this wonderful elderly couple tells me, go up there and get prayer. I go, okay. So I went up and there was this uh, team, two people. They said, would you like prayer? And I said, sure. And they come like this, just to touch my forehead lightly. And they said, touch her, Lord. Pow. My body just gave way. And I laid on the floor. Now, why am I telling you this as an introduction? Because this is how it started for me. I laid there with my eyes closed. I could hear everything, but I couldn't move. But there was such peace. What was it? I don't know. Oh, I saw I had to crawl in my dress back to my pew. The elderly couple said again, go get some more. Go more of what? Go more of the Lord. Well, what's that? But being me, I went up and I said, I'd like to have some more. And I went again. This time I'm laying next to a man in a tuxedo. 
Neither one of us can move. We can hear. Our eyes are closed. And there was such great peace. When I got up, after about 30, 45 minutes, I felt as if I was drunk. But I hadn't drunk anything. And I staggered back to my car. Something had happened, but I didn't know what. The next morning, I break out my Bible and I go to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Oh, revelation just occurred. I saw the first ten where it talked about love God. But that's what how we were supposed to love Him spiritually. And to love your neighbor. That was it. The Ten Commandments came alive. The spiritual revelations behind the words that were written on the stone tablet that I'd seen in the Ten Commandments with Ben-Hur had come alive to me. I knew what they meant. So I told my son about it. He was off at a Lutheran church camp. We went on Sunday night after we went to our Lutheran church Sunday morning. Back and I told him he was afraid he might get hurt. I said, I'll hold your hand. So I held his hand and he fell. And the somebody said, Would you like prayer? And I go, No, not really. And they, Okay, and I fell. That was my life for the next year or two, laying on the floor in this presence that was so peaceful. Kept changing and changing and changing. God kept saying, I've called you. We kept hearing out of the evangelist, God has a plan for your life. But you got to get in your car. got to turn the car engine on. got to put the car in driving. you got to step on the gas because he can't use you. And while you were sitting out there doing nothing, people were dying all over the world and they were going to hell. I felt this urgency. God was stirring up what was already in me, this warrior, to go and fight and set captives free. I didn't know what to do. Remember, I'm coming out of the mental health world. I saw the pattern, the model I had, which I didn't fit in. So I went one Sunday, this was very early, said, I need some more education. So I went early to Sunday school. I started sitting in every class. No, that's not it. Oh, they're doing the book of that. No, that's not it. Oh, they're talking about marriage and relationships. No, that's not it. Oh, they're talking about the book of that. No, that's not it. They're talking about outreach minute. No, that's not it. Got to this one class. This lady, this precious, wonderful lady, who I came to love very much, still do. She was teaching out of the book called The Strong Man. That's his name. What is his game? By the Robertsons, who were actually Assembly of God ministers. And they had spent about 20, 30 years in Costa Rica, and they ran into some things that their Assembly of God had not prepared them for, called strong men, demonic spirits. I heard that, and I go, this is where I'm supposed to be. I sat in that Sunday school class. I still have the exact book. Um, I'm going to stop the tape and come back and I'll show it to you. Okay, I'm back. Now, when I got to the Sunday school class, here's the book. It's called Strong Man. 
You see it? Strong man's his name. What is his game? For five years, I sat in that Sunday school class, listening over and over again to this teacher. I knew this is where I was supposed to be. So I went and bought the book. Then, after a while, she started teaching out of their second book called Strong Man. Two. Learned a lot. Now, I believe the Robertson, he might be dead. I'm not sure about her. Excellent. The Assemblies wouldn't uh, publish it because they didn't believe that Christians could have these things. But the Robertsons ran into them in Costa Rica, so they published it themselves. Changed my life. Then after about a year in this church, I'm on the path now to helping people the Lord's way. For I had been instructed to put down my mental health license and learn how to help people the Lord's way. I was going to be learning how to set captives free. Never heard that term in the mental health world. They just had sicknesses and illnesses and diseases. And they were to be healed, maybe. Or just learn to manage with medication. That was all the hope they had. So I sat in this class, great teacher, every Sunday morning. We were filled up with 50, 60 pastors from all over. Because they had discovered that the Christians had some things that needed to be dealt with. Now, I went and applied for the team. At the original, it was called the Deliverance Team. But because some people and denominations in Christianity and other religions did not believe that people of faith had anything in them connected to them were being vexed by them especially not something that was of this Satan guy not a demon or a devil so that they decided to change the name of the team from the deliverance team to the personal ministry team we had to wear a badge we sat on a certain pew in the upper deck so we could keep an eye on people and the ushers knew where we were now this was a different team we were all also had been approved to be on the prayer team so I um, learned how to have this power of God flow through me after about a year laying on the floor and how to be a vessel and a conduit for it and to touch people like this lightly on their forehead and let God do the rest. So I had to have those. These were all volunteer positions, you understand. I was holding down a full-time job, raising a son, having a family. So what happened was I was learning. God, it was beginning to work in me how I could do this he had to first clean me up he had to set me free of some things that I didn't even know I had but all our lives we have issues we have hurts and wounds 
that need to be healed. We have things attached to them that need to be taken care of. So this one night in the in the church before I got started on the deliverance team, I get prayer. I'm laying in a crystal clear river spiritually. And I see this water just gently washing over me, just peaceful. Then a hand, the golden hand comes, bright light, and a sponge and starts scrubbing. And then after that happened, a beam of light drying me. Then I hear, now. I've cleaned you up for the work that I've called you to do. That was my deliverance. Now my soul still had work to be done. In fact, years later he sent me at home for two years. So he could heal some things in me. And I go, from what? He said, how about 30, 40 years of ick? Relationships, family problems, memories. I go... Oh, okay. So I stayed at home, talked to the trees and the squirrels, and God did his work. Just read his word. But I was beginning. I got cleaned up, got on the deliverance team, the personal ministry. Then I had to sit up on the platform right behind the evangelist. We were on the cameras. The prayer team captain wanted us, who had permission by the pastor himself, We were special elite people to deal with these demonics. We had skills, people skills. We could talk to people who didn't believe. We could deal with witches. We could deal with those in their cult, suicide. We could deal with anything. And he had prayed over it and got permission for us to be on the team. It was about ten of us. We had special privileges over and above the prayer team. Then we we always dressed up. Wore our badges, both the prayer team and the personal ministry, sat on our pew. Sometimes I never made it into the church service. The security guards and the ushers would call me because something was happening in line outside. Because what was happening is this power of this God that hadn't been seen in a long time decided to show up in Pensacola, Florida on Father's Day, June 1995. The enemy got riled up And the enemy was in people It was at work We had people doing things In the parking lot In the lines In the lobby In the bathrooms Because the demonic spirits These strong men That I was learning about Got vexed and tormented Because they had laid undiscovered In the darkness In church In church people until this event occurred. Now what we learn to do in the Sunday school is we excuse me. We learned all about them in here. The book is still out in the bookstores. It goes through sixteen or seventeen. Now the deliverance team had two purposes. One in the sanctuary We were only allowed to bind up what was manifesting, irritated, showing off. According to Matthew 18 and 18, that says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. 
Now, when we did the deliverance work, the deep personal ministry work of casting out, that was done in a separate building in rooms with a small team, maybe three or four people. There was always a leader of the team, and the person that we were to minister to had been interviewed by the coordinator who was teaching the class. She would write down on a little piece of paper what demonic spirit strongholds that she felt needed to be dealt with. She would hand that to the leader of this little team. I was never one, which was fine. And then you would be assigned every whatever night you were assigned to do deliverance. Mine was Saturday nights. Friday nights, I was to sit in the sanctuary. So when you got with your little team, and uh, I was not the leader, so you to keep unity, if we saw something, sent something, we would whisper it to the leader's ear, and they were the only voice. Now we could say things like, I bind you, the blood of Jesus. We had praise and worship music going on. This was very early deliverance work for me from the Strongman book. I did that for five, six, seven, ten years. Learned a lot. Saw a lot. I was getting personal experience. For some reason, this coordinator um, took me with her in her sessions. She was highly anointed, very gifted with people. She had actually done this in another church in Orlando. I think it was guy named Benny Hen's church. Him and Benny Hen's wife and this lady would do it in the basement. Even though the assemblies did not believe in it, uh, they did it anyway. So she had lots of experience. And she was a sweet lady. Oh, she was so kind to these people. But she was sharp. She moved in. We all were supposed to be moving in the gift of discerning of spirits words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all supposed to have had the prayer language, and we were to be spiritually in tune. We're to be sitting in the Sunday school class, which we all did, sitting on the pew, in church all the time. Now, this Steve actually talked a lot about it because he saw a lot of these things down in Argentina. They actually had... A demonic tent where people were manifesting so bad they had to go and deal with them. It's when the power of God, the presence of God, comes in such magnitude. It shakes the kingdom of darkness and the stuff that's there. So I learned. I grew and learned. I watched. I saw. God was developing me a mighty warrior to set captives free. I never was a leader on the team. I just sat on the... I loved that sanctuary. Did Some nights I worked all night binding up stuff. Seemed we're children, Christians, youth, pastors. I didn't know what all was going on. I couldn't understand it because I didn't have a lot of knowledge. Why wasn't this going on in their church? Because I guess God's presence wasn't there. Like it, it was here during this time. I had to learn to observe and listen. 
I had to learn the difference between flesh in praise and worship and spirit. I got in trouble a lot. I was never really taught, don't say the D word, you have a demon in the sanctuary. Because most people didn't believe in them. But, so I got in trouble. Then I would challenge uh, intercessors for whatever they were doing in the sanctuary. My spiritual gift of discerning of the spirits and my knowledge and wisdom go, that is flesh. That's not the Holy Spirit. I had to learn what was flesh, what was Holy Spirit, and what was demonic. It's sort of like learning what is a counterfeit $20 bill versus a real one. Training, classes, training, sitting in church every single Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Training, Sunday school, books, more books. Training, training, more books. I was learning, but I wasn't quite ready yet. I saw things and heard things. was very interesting. Learned about word curses. Learned about many different things. These two books were instrumental. Then I started venturing out to other books to set the captives free. I had gone from a mindset of counseling dealing with an illness and a sickness biologically to a spiritual problem that captives spiritually needed to be set free from some spiritual things so they could grow spiritually that would heal them emotionally and physically. We heard testimonies of people that God's presence had healed them from schizophrenia, hiding under their covers. One young guy came, he had been in drugs, and he was in love with a young girl, and they came down here, and he had a dream. God saved him in his dream. Woke up, he was a different man. So I was learning what God was doing, how he was reaching people. He didn't depend on preaching. He was working through dreams, through prayer, through the Spirit of the Lord. I, I was learning. I was on a fast track. I had a lot to learn yet. So what happened was, this went on for a long, long time. Ran into some wonderful people. Then as I got old, more mature in it, I got challenged a lot. I got in trouble. A lot. Because the enemy started recognizing me. I was going to be big problems to him. I didn't know that. But I started getting in trouble. Had to be set down. Was falsely accused. By many things. Why? I was the only one getting in trouble. On the deliverance team. I was in the sanctuary all the time. I loved it. I was interacting with people and children and women. From all over the world. And I had to tell him, you got some problems, you need to go home, talk to your pastor, and let him deal with it. This one lady I did that with, well, her friends and her didn't listen. They went back to the motel and proceeded to cast out something. They'd never had any training, and it got worse. They went home to the pastor. He tried it. Of course, he wasn't prepared. And her father, now she's a grown woman, put her in a psychiatric hospital and blamed me for putting them in her. 
Whoa, it was a mess. I had this one young girl I had. She was over 21. She was living with a lady, I think, in Gold Breeze. And she came to the altar, and she was having all kinds of issues, and she just felt suicidal and vexed. I said, why don't we just pray against anything anti-Christ that's coming against you? How about that? She said, okay. So I prayed. Next week, a letter comes to the chaplain. How I spoke against Mother Mary. I never mentioned her name. But when I said Antichrist, ooh, I got called into the office for that. Me and the sofa had a special place. I was called into the chaplain's office all the time. Because I was starting to move to set captives free where I was supposed to be. And the enemy was coming against me and challenging me. I even had Christian brothers and sisters turn against me. And I'm going. I had to learn how to be humble, forgive, and to stay in unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ, not knowing what was going on. Tests, trials. Kept going to church, doing my job, volunteering, studying, learning. I knew this was what I was to do. I was to put the world's way down and not use it to set captives free. And I had to see that the captive required the Spirit of the Lord God. It was a spiritual work that I was going to be doing, but I was also going to be dealing with mental health issues, the soul and physical issues. Boy, did I have to learn. But God was determined to raise me up and get me trained and tested. Because even though you learn something, till you are tested in it and you hold, and you can love your neighbor even if they are attacking you, even the very ones you're trying to help accuse you, can you hold in love? Can you keep going back even though you've been threatened that you will have a restraining order against you? Can you go back and go after God even though you're set down because you're in punishment time? I used to have to go to this team every Friday night, hold hands with these people and get told, we don't need you tonight. Just go sit on the pew and soak. I was in trouble. Time out. Because I must have been stirring up the enemy who was stirring up the leadership. Because after a while, the coordinator got fearful of losing her position to the intercessors. Powerful war was going on between the intercessors and this coordinator. They wanted to do what we did. But they wouldn't join the team. They didn't like her. They wanted to do it their way. Because they thought when they were in intercession back in the room, which they had to be put in because they had manifest demonic spirits in the sanctuary. They were doing some crazy stuff. But they believed it was the Holy Spirit and they were pulling down strongholds. So they wanted to do deliverance, but they wouldn't go get on the team. So what they did was they went and got something called cleansing stream from a four square church or something. And they became the leaders of it. And all the leadership had to go through it. Well, I I knew I'd already been cleaned up. So when we got through about, 
I don't know, three or four weeks into it, everybody was called forward to get prayer just in case you haven't been delivered and you got some things. And I sat on the pew and I said, God, if I go forward and say you did not, there might be just a little something there, then I am calling you a liar. You delivered me on the floor years ago. You said I was clean and ready. If I even stand up, go forward, I am calling you a liar. I can't do that. So I sat on the pew. The intercessor's son said, are you going forward? I go, no, I've already been delivered. It's the only one. Other people on the deliverance team said, well, there might be something there. And I had the eyes staring at me. And the leader of this group, when I'm walking out, she's manifesting demons in the bathroom. Screaming and yelling. And she knew she wasn't clean. And I knew she wasn't clean. I don't say anything. Then later on, she comes to me and her husband in the spirit because their daughter or their son was getting far off into Satanism and witchcraft being drawn astray. They asked me to spiritually go get him because I had proven myself. So I did that and I returned him spiritually. So my reputation, if I could hold through all the attacks... It's sort of like when you're going through the Navy SEALs. If you can just survive training without ringing the bell and quitting. You go watch G.I. Jane with Demi Moore. Rough. The training is horrible. A lot of people don't make it through the training. I was becoming a special ops trusted could work in the dark in the spirit I could take anything and I said nothing I was friendly and loving when I was upset I would go home and talk unto my pillow and talk to God some nights I was so hurt and angry I didn't even go in God's presence I, he gave me a special spiritual teepee just like Abraham had I knew I was upset spiritually. I was vexed and hurting and mad. I wouldn't go in God's presence that way. Because it wouldn't have been very pretty. So I went to my teepee. And I would cry. I would get peace. Angels protected me. My spirit needed to get stuff out of it. I had to scream into my pillow. You have to do things to get that stress out. Little did I know what was waiting for me. Little did I know what kind of captives I was going to set free. But I was on my way. Training, education, experience. I was going on missions right in the church. Right against my own brothers and sisters. Out in the parking lots. I was being attacked at home from husband and brother. It was not pretty. People were running red lights trying to kill me. I even had a guy try to shoot me with a silencer when I'm taking a walk. That's another story about Narnia and Dr. Doolittle. But I held. 
Once you pass a lot of tests, then you move out of elementary school into junior high, then to high school and college. But this introduction is telling you about me. And here are some of the the scripture that also had to be a part of my life, had to be set as a foundation stone in me, because this was what was going to guide me. I'm going to turn us to, in the Bible, to Luke. And we're going to hear this young man named Christ Jesus. And how he came out of the wilderness after 40 days being tested and tempted of Satan. I'm going to put this up here on my computer and I hope I don't cut it off. Okay, we're still recording. He comes out. And he goes to his hometown called Nazareth. Where he, this is verse 16, Luke 4. I'll read it to you. We'll start in 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. God was going to develop in me a fame. Little did I know. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered by the rabbi unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That is Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me to preach, proclaim the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty freedom them that are bound and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord verse 20 and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister the rabbi and sat down and the eyes of all of them that were there in the synagogue that day were fastened on him waiting for him to say something when he read it he compelled there was something different coming out of him remember he had just come out of the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit words of spirit and life were coming through him through these old scriptures from Isaiah let's see if I can oh, this is hard to do here let me see and he began to say unto them this day Is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? 
Oh, no. They all bear witness and wondered or amazed at these gracious, loving words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, that's just Joseph's son. He's just a man. We knew him. He grew up as a child with us. And this Jesus said to them, You'll surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And they did. They said that to him when he was on the cross. Why don't you heal yourself, buddy? You healed other people. Come on down. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum. We heard about your healing. Heal yourself. Do also here in my country. And he said to them, Yeah, you're going to say that to me. But I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. That was my foundation. So I went from that. I went and read Isaiah 61. Let's see if I can find it here. 61 and Isaiah 62. They became my strong foundation. After I got all that strong man stuff. Learned about binding and loosing. Curses and blessing. Because I had to have this. If I was going to set captives free. This is why I got anointed. This was my ministry. This is what I was going to do. And Jesus became my example. Because I looked at him and said, you did it, I should do it. You talk that way, I should talk that way. You are my image and likeness. You have the mind I'm to develop up here. So here was Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. Verse 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So that they might be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord so that he might be glorified now the rest of Isaiah talks about what these trees of righteousness are supposed to do I am covering those in the global tele ministry videos working my way through Isaiah 
61. Verse by verse, line by line, go there and look at the videos in the Global Teleministry section. Now, what I didn't know, I thought I'm just going to deal with regular mental health issues, depression, anxiety, that's all I knew, borderline. I knew nothing about disassociation, identity disorder, nothing about cults, nothing about uh, Satanism, witchcraft. I knew nothing. But that was where God was going to take me. He, and we ran into that in our deliverance sessions. Some people in their childhood had been in witchcraft. We dealt with witches getting saved. We had witches, Satanists, coming to the uh, church services. And then came Dawn. Dawn was a precious young lady. Came from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She grew up in multi-generational Satanism. She had been seeing a psychiatrist, and he had been doing some integration work with her. But he thought by coming to the revival and getting deliverance, it would go faster. So for the first month, I did not minister to her. I was in the sanctuary. The team together did that. And then after about a month, I got called in. And I had a tendency to irritate her because my voice or my looks reminded her of her mother. I didn't know anything about witchcraft or Satanism. So I was called a foot soldier. I'd sit on her foot on the floor. And they would say, let's put some anointing oil on her inserts. And I looked at this other lady who was holding the other leg. go, what is an insert? There's nothing about inserts in the strongman. She said, you don't know anything about inserts? I go, no. Well, you need to go read the book, and I'm going to go get it for you and show you. Okay, I'm back. Let me straighten myself up here. If you see a little blue up there, that's just my gym stuff I wear under my thing. Here was the book. This young lady who we were working with, I was told, well, let me tuck this in here. This was the actual book that I got. And the lady that told me said, you don't know what inserts are? And I said, no. Go get this book. He came to set the captives free. And you'll learn. So I went to a Christian bookstore. It's falling apart here. And I got it. When I started reading it on the first page, it's by Rebecca, Dr. Rebecca Brown. Uh, it's a story about a young lady named Elaine. And Dr. Brown, how they had met. Lane had grown up in Satanism and witchcraft. And, oh boy, with a whole different world opened up to me through the book. A lot of people didn't want to talk about it. But I did see the book in the pastor's office. True story. Rebecca Brown got in a lot of trouble. Uh, Elaine tells her story about growing up in witchcraft, Satanism, having the gift, all kinds of ick. And I go... Oh, this is interesting. But this is where God wanted to take me, to set these captives free. So I read it. I read it over and over. My pages are falling out. She had, uh, Rebecca Brown wrote some other books after that, dealing with curses. She went on the speaking tour. Very helpful. She didn't know anything either when she got started. She just wanted to help these people because she loved God and they didn't know God. Boy, was it war. So I advise you to go get these books, I'm telling you, so you can see how you're going to have to learn about setting captives free the Lord's way. And this section that we're going to be putting out, we're going to be working through a lot of 
witchcraft and occult, Isaiah 61, a lot of the things I learned. You'll hear about many of the people that I've worked with. And so I started reading this. So I realized, okay, we're going into some dark stuff. And how it began was I got my own. Elaine came to my life. Young lady was 14 years old on October the 27th. Amanda. She came to the altar call. She told the prayer team worker she was a Satanist and a witch, and they called me. Now, she was sent on assignment, her whole family was, to take me down. Little did I know how powerful I was going to become or already was. I just loved these people after reading Elaine's story. I would cry for them because they were so spiritually held captive. They were abused spiritually. And I knew God wanted to go there. Well, that's a long way from mental health counseling. But that's where I was going. So this young lady comes to the altar. They calm me down. As I'm walking down the steps, a word of knowledge comes to me. And I go, you're a Satanist, and your assignment is to bear a child, to kill it. A child that would come from one of the prayer team or workers here, so you could, Satan would feel like we're going to sacrifice and kill this revival. She said, how do you know that? You're not a witch. I said, God just told me. And I said, sweetie, you can come out of this darkness. His hand is reaching out to you right now, if you want to. She nodded. We took her in a back room with this other lady and an usher. Because sometimes it gets rock and roll time. And I had to learn how to take a big person down by pulling on his pant legs and put him on the ground. I was a tough soldier. I had no fear of these things or the people. I was around them when six ushers have to hold them down. They're spitting at me, cussing at me, trying to bite me. I was left in rooms with them. had to learn how to bind them up and trust God to help me. So we went in this usher's room, and I said, Sweetie, there's a young man named Jesus that drew you here, that he would like you to get to know him, and he would love for you to believe in him. In the spirit, well, a little door opened. And this little bitty spirit, I could see it through the gift of discerning, came out of this darkness and mist. I said, sweetie, nice to meet you. Would you like to meet this Jesus? Little did I know this was what this girl, when I get letters later, that she was told at 12 by Josh, the story's up, that she would meet this Jesus that he met. She accepted his invitation, and she slipped back into the darkness and the mist and went away. Now I'm just dealing with program parts. The usher took her. She was a youth, so he said, I'll get you. They lived down the street, her and her mom. I'll get you in the youth department, so I never saw her. Then she started waiting for me after the prayer time and wanted to talk to me on my way to the car. And she'd write me letters. I still have them. She'd write me poems. She wanted to talk about her life that she was born into. Elaine was never born into multi-generational Satanism. She joined it. She was sold early, but she joined it. Amanda was born into it. 
Then I met her family. And, not, and there's a lot of stories. We'll get to them. Our whole clan, the Back Forest clan, was coming against me to take me down. There was a lot of Church of Satan uh, groups here in town. There was a lot of witches and governs and Sagan. They're everywhere. You can't get away from them. Nothing illegal about being a Satanist. It is a 501c3 group. But this was something else. They lived double lives. They were disassociative. They had light side parts and dark side parts. Their life was horrible. I learned that from Elaine. And he came to set the captives free. So as I'm growing in this. And I'm learning. God gives me letters and poems to write to them. I would write. And here's one of them. It's called, You Have Been Found. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Father himself, in 2001. Remember, this was when I meet Amanda, it's about 1998. I am about three years into training, deliverance work, prayer team work. It was time. I didn't know that. I didn't know what to do. I just loved her. She had a mom. I used to give her rides home. Oh boy, it got nasty. Here's what God gave me to them. To someone who has been crying silently in the dark. You felt the draw of something you knew not. You listened two words I'm trying to get my papers so I can look at you and read that you could not understand you fought and fought against the pull and still you were drawn by something and someone you knew not you listened you watched you thought And then you knew. You need what it was that was drawing you, calling you, speaking to you. Then you found the hand in the dark, just like Amanda found me. She stepped out of her little darkness, found my voice. My voice had been calling her. She had been heard that it was going to happen. She was waiting. And she reached for it. And you reached for it. And it found you. Now you know that you have been found. You have been heard. The other hand is so big. So strong. So warm. So soft. It has a voice of a mother. Your heart feels safe now. You feel as a child again, cuddled by a loving mother. You feel the touch of love without pain and hurt. You feel the touch of him who loves you as you are. You like the touch of the hands and the words of a mother's heart. You need the hands to hold you and the words to love you.
Yes, sweetie. You have been found. Yes. You have been found. Yes, sweetie. You have been found. Yes. You have been found. Love to you from the Heavenly Father and Pastor Deborah, your spiritual mother. God gave that to me as a foundational call. How I was to be trained and reach and love these people like Elaine and Amanda. I want to read to you something from Isaac. He's gone now. He's in heaven. He was a tough hiking Satanist major programmer he was a little harder to reach because he the men are treated much harsher and different than the females everything a male is supposed to be is stripped and taken from them the only thing that survives in their life any of them is the will to live by submitting no matter what. And through the gift of dissociation that comes from the Spirit, from the hand of God Himself, a way of escape was found for them. Isaac wrote a poem that became a song. And here is what he wrote It's called Love Is Here. It was written by two of these wonderful children, both Amanda and Isaac. Both were born into a life of multi-generational Satanism. Both have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They've renounced Satan, been baptized in water in the Gulf of Mexico, or a swimming pool. Isaac did swimming pools. And are doing their best to follow Jesus. Both are still trapped in the life of Satanism and unable to get to freedom yet this poem was written after one was saved in October 2000 it has been put to music and has become a song for others to learn that love can touch and love can heal both writers of this poem are my spiritual children. October 2000. My people, we will all live. Nowhere man, nowhere mind. In your truth, nowhere to hide. Looking out, Looking in, looking round to where you've been, inside out, outside in, you will find it's all unreal. We can't talk, we can't touch. Excuse me, my papers are falling. We can feel. It's all too much. We will wait 
for love to heal us. We will learn that love is here. Nowhere man, nowhere mind. In your truth, nowhere to hide. Looking out, looking in. Looking round to where you've been. We will wait for love to heal us. We will learn that love is here. We will know that love can touch us. We will see that love, that love is here. Excellent words out of their hearts. Now I want to read to you another to help you understand this section. I'm going to read to you what God gave to me about these people. It's called Born. August 2001. I came from above. I came out below. Born I was in a dragon family. Born to parents who were dragons too. Born, why me and not you? Created by God for love. Created innocent. Yet born, fallen, separated from my creator, born to the dragon, born for the dragon, born without hope, born, excuse me, to be a dragon. Why me? Why not you? Born. So many of us there are. So many dragon children are born. So many as me. So many. Born. What did we do to deserve a dragon family? What did we do to deserve the abuse? The life of fear, control, pain, and death. What did we do to deserve this life? Born not for love. Born for the dragon. Born to breed more dragons for the next generation. Born to be sacrificed to the dragon. Born to die born already dead born yet never allowed to live born to the dragon yet loved by an unseen and unknown God born to be loved born to be redeemed by blood 
born to be born again by a love unknown a sacrifice once and for all to have a new family to be a new spiritual creation with a new soul and body to a new life to a new father born to be born again by the love of a god unknown born again by the love of a son unknown born again by the blood from a brethren unknown born again by a holy spirit unseen and unfelt born again because i believe in my heart in someone named jesus the christ the son of the living god of all creation and that he came to die for me to free me from the dragon born again to be free born again to be all i was created to be born again never again to be a dragon's child that was an inspirational poem that was vital to me that i had to have to help set captives free i was going to go deep into spiritual work darkness the occult witchcraft the illuminati into world leaders and governments to kings and crowns and princesses to the law enforcement veterinarians police everywhere these people were everyone and everywhere they were in the church they were pastors and bible school teachers i was going to set captives free i want to read you a poem from amanda that she sent to me in april 2001 that will also help you see the foundation for me this section and how i had to have a great foundation had to hear their silent cries of their heart so i could learn what god wanted to do to set the captives free this was written it's called innocent by amanda a multigenerational born again satanist who is still in captivity in the kingdom of darkness against their will but has accepted Jesus Christ as savior lord and master satan you know where i lie gently i go into your good night all our lives get complicated search for pleasures overrated never armed our souls for what the future would hold we were innocent innocent angels lend me your might forfeit all my lives just to get one right all those colors long since faded all our smiles were confiscated never were we told we would be bought and sold when we 
were innocent. No, no! I still remember screaming, no! This prayer is for me tonight. This far down that line. And still I ain't got it right. And while confessions not yet stated, our next sin is contemplated. Never did we know what the future would hold or that we would be bought and sold. We were innocent. We were innocent. Innocent. They were talking to me. Amanda was sending out cries, not only for herself, but for others that could not talk. And Amanda had a boyfriend who became her husband, her only love of her life, who's now in heaven. And he wrote me a letter. I still have him. It's called Dear Mother 2000. A letter written to Pastor by a young man who was born into a life of multi-generational Satanism. This is Owl. Was trained in the black arts of the occult. Was a heroin addict. Was into vampirism. Bisexual. And was chosen to rise in the great ranks. God supernaturally touched this young man's heart. And God's love reached into this darkness of Satanism. The young man accepted the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, was water baptized in a swimming pool, and became my spiritual child. This was the goal of the Father in setting captives free. Thank you for saving my life. I know It truly hasn't been easy trying to love somebody when you can't see. No more games. You don't deserve to be betrayed or led on for satanic purposes. We know that someone's rebellion, that be Amanda's, brought you into our world. And this dedication to your love that has kept us together. She fought to hang on to me. She held it together for all of them to get saved. Now she's paid a price. She's still alive. She's out west. She's not doing well physically. All her family and all the people she knew, they're all saved. They're all out. She lost all her children. Her mother's gone. Her father, nothing. I hang on to her the best I can. Which one day she'll be up there with them. Please bless them for their strong will to survive this nightmare. Bless you for being there for all of us. I have listened many times to your conversations. You'd listen on the phone through Amanda or at church in the spirit. I've seen the angels casting a web of fire around her. I know she will survive and then fight and pull others out with her. I love you. 
This is no game. My friend, I am saved. Now help us. Thank you, Mother. These were the cries that the God wanted to hear. I didn't know that when I gave up mental health counseling. You don't hear this when you're a therapist. You just see him for 50 minutes, charge him money, and you get another one. It's different when you work the Lord's way. So this section, this long introduction, is to talk to you about me and how I was trained and how my was sent to the great darkness to set the captives free. I'm going to work through Isaiah 61. There's a list on the website. All the different topics. I think I got it. Let me see if I can find Hang on just a minute. Okay, I'm back. This tape's going to be stop and start because I'm. it's very long. Very long. So in this section, we're going to have lots of videos. Lots of teaching. And we're going to do this introduction video. It'll be up hopefully today. Number one, we're going to talk about what is a spiritual captive. I'm going to take us to Isaiah 61. I'm going to do some definitions for us. Then we're going to talk about what is not free. you got to know what's being held captive. Three, what does being enslaved mean? Four, what is bondage? Five, what part of our three-part system is oppressed? going to learn about oppression. Six, what part has a broken heart? Seven, which heart is broken? Eight, what needs healing? What is sick? Nine, what is mourning? Ten, what are ashes? This is coming out of Isaiah 61, my foundation. Eleven, What kind of beauty is needed? Twelve. What is the spirit of heaviness? Thirteen. What is the garment of praise? God has some new clothes. Fourteen. What is bruised, confused, and shamed? Fifteen. What is the oil of joy? Sixteen. What kingdom is the physical body a part of? The soul and the forever person. Are they different? 17. What honor and dignity needs to be restored, brought back again for the shame and confusion? 18. What are clothes of light? 19. What are seeds of love, joy, and peace that need to be planted and brought forth? Got some great poems about heart-to-heart planting, growing, learning about love as a gardener and living water and meadows. Got a lot to learn. So I wanted to introduce this section. And I'll put up, uh, also go to the global teleministry section. We're working through a lot of Isaiah 61.
But before we go, I always like to give a prayer. If you would like it. Father, for those that are listening and hearing, know that freedom has come to them today. That you have sent your word, your agape love, as Isaac and Amanda and Owl all found. It has come, it is here, and if they want to touch it, receive it, and watch it heal their lives, Father, bring the gift. All you have to do, little one, is say, I want that gift that Isaac found in Owl and Amanda. That love of a spiritual mother. The love that was shed on a cross. It's yours. It's free. It costs you nothing. It might be a battle. But it's worth it. Because one day your earthly body will return to dust. And that part of you, that forever person, will live on. And it can go straight on up to the kingdom and the throne and meet Isaac and you'll meet Owl and you'll meet so many others that have gone before you you that are in multi-generational Satanism the occult and witchcraft mm-hmm. I'm coming again I've never left you that are in the Illuminati the 13 around the table I'm coming to get your clans and all of your chosen children going to take down the kingdom that Satan is building. I'm going to take down these godless governments. You think he's going to let them stand. This is his earth. And he has paid a price for it. It belongs to no one but him and his children. Which Pastor Deborah is. And the soldiers are coming. The special ops are coming. To set the captives free. Be at peace. We know where you are. I'm on my way. Until then, if you hear this word, accept this gift. I bring it to you. I'm a voice in the light shining to you in your prison cells. Even in your dreams and trances, I'm here. Yes, that's me, Pastor Deborah. I've come with good news and good tidings. The Spirit of the Lord is with me to set you free. The door is opened. Come on out. We're waiting to meet you. Put some new clothes on. You can't go out like you are. Kind of dirty. We're going to change those prison clothes. Get those chains off of you. Give you a bath in oil of joy. Put some perfume on. You're going to be beautiful. Come on out. Just like Amanda did. And Isaac did, and Owl did. So many others. Come on out. And enjoy the light and freedom. It's done. Thank you, Father. This is your work. This is just the introduction, so then they can learn and joy. Send forth the news, let the rays of light shine. Just as Neo did in the Matrix. He gave his life as your son did. To set the captives free of the Matrix. Father, let's go forth. Into the darkness we go. Into the kingdom of darkness we're coming. D-Day has already arrived. In the name of Jesus. 
see you on the beaches. See you in the cities. See you in the towns. We're coming against the enemy of freedom. In every way. Love. Enjoy. Pastor Deborah here. This has been a long introduction. But I wanted to cover it so you will have an idea. Of what this section's about. And why Pastor Deborah does what she does. Go to all the other videos. And learn and grow. Keep studying. And you will grow. Love. Bye.